Here we are in Philippians 3. We're in a series about joy, how to find joy in this world. And you'll find this aspect of joy a little bit interesting. It's ironic the way we're told to find joy in this passage. Now, I'm going to start with a quote from an old Baptist preacher who died a long, long time ago. If you're younger than me, you've probably never heard of him. Vance Havner, who used to say, I'm homesick for heaven. It's the thought of dying that's kept me alive this long. Now, he said that a lot. And that may resonate with you, but it may not. Maybe you say, well, wait, does that mean I just sit around and and wait around to die and go to heaven? Is that all this life is? Well, no, that's not what it means. There's an old hymn that we used to sing. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Remember the last line of every verse says, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about not settling for what this world has to offer. Give you a a little bit more contemporary uh, example. Um, If you're my kid's age, you're going to roll your eyes at this. But uh, when I was in high school, this little Irish rock band named U2 became the biggest thing on earth. And I had heard of them, but that summer, that, that summer before my senior year, all of a sudden, boom, their music was everywhere. Especially a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It was everywhere. Even if you didn't listen to that kind of music, you heard it. And as a Christian listening to them and that song particularly, I found it a little bit confusing because the words, the lyrics used biblical imagery. For instance, at one point in the song, it says, you broke the bonds and loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe that. And so it's obvious the man singing is a Christian. And, and we'd read uh, in, in the magazines and stuff that the, that the members of U2 were, were believers in Christ, and yet they're talking about, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So does that mean I found Jesus, but he's not enough? But eventually I started to understand they were, they were riffing on Hebrews 11. Now, we know Hebrews 11, right? If, if you know the Bible, you know that Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the Bible where God talks about the great heroes of faith, men and women like Abraham and Sarah, like Rahab and Jacob and David and Samuel and Moses and all the great men and women of old and how they believed in God and, and their belief in God led them to do great things. But there's a, there's a section of that chapter that we often look past and we don't really, we don't really focus on. And it says this, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. See, American Christianity preaches a message of earthly success. And I say American Christianity, what I mean by that is, if you watch a sermon on television, there's a better than average chance you're going to hear a sermon that is a message about earthly success and how to leverage your faith in God into getting God to give you the life that you want giving you the spouse you want and the kids you want and the health you want and the money you want. And you can have all your dreams come true if you just have the right kind of faith. Well, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is more like what we just read. It's a person who is serving Christ and who is is living joyfully in this world, but they still haven't found what they're looking for. They're looking for a better place, a heavenly city that is to come. They're not settling for this world's version of happiness. Now, there's nothing wrong with contentment. 
In fact, Paul talks about contentment in chapter 4. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But there is something very wrong with saying, okay, this world is all there is, so I better get all the happiness I can out of life right now. Instead of living for something better, something further on. So how does that, how does this idea of living for something that comes next, how does that actually lead to happiness and joy right now? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So look with me at Paul uh, in what he wrote in chapter 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. So how does being homesick for a place you've never even been lead to happiness in the here and now? Well, Paul talks about it in this passage, and he shows us three differences between what the world gives and what Christ offers. So first of all, the world disappoints, but Jesus delivers. An example A I will give you is a guy named Tom Brady. So if you know football, if you basically if you're aware of popular culture today, you know that Tom Brady is the quarterback of the New England Patriots and he's won more Super Bowls than you can count and he's got he set all the records. I mean even guys who aren't fans of his like me have to acknowledge he's pretty much the best quarterback who's ever played. He's made 180 million dollars in salary and endorsements in his career and he's still going. I know I'm wearing pink, but I'm man enough to say this. He's a good-looking guy, okay? He is, he is movie star handsome. He's married to a supermodel, literally. There is, there is absolutely nothing that this world says you need to have in order to be happiness that this guy doesn't already have, I, including better grammar than that last sentence. There's, he has everything this world has to offer. Last fall, Jim Gray, TV reporter, was asking him, So, Tom, are you happy? His answer was, I have my moments. I have my moments. Wait a second. This guy who has everything that every little boy wants, every, everything every middle-aged guy daydreams about, he's only happy in spurts? He's only happy in moments? What hope is there for losers like me, right? I mean, everybody who's struggling to get what he has, what hope is there for them if he's only happy some of the time? But that's this world. This world offers sporadic happiness, moments of pleasure, moments of self-fulfillment, but not, not full-time, not permanent. On the other hand, I want you to look at what Paul says about these people. In verse 18, he says they're enemies of the cross of Christ, people, that is, who seek their happiness in things other than Christ, in the things of this world. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, but he doesn't consider them his enemies. In fact, he weeps for them. He says, I write of them even with tears. Do you know this is the only place in all the writings of Paul where he talks about crying? And he's crying for people who aren't believers in Christ, who are trying to find their happiness apart from their Creator. 
But he says, I weep for them because I see what they're doing to their lives. And that's the attitude we need. You see, the problem that that trips so many of us up, including Christians, is we fall prey to envy of people like Tom Brady, of people like our next-door neighbor who has uh, more well-behaved kids or a bigger house or uh, a more attentive spouse or a bigger salary or who knows what. Maybe he's taller. Maybe he's got better teeth. We look at this person or this person on television who we don't even know, and we say, now if only I had that, then I could be happy. I heard about a preacher once who said, if I just would have married somebody more like Ruth Graham, then I would be more successful. Preachers fall prey to that too. Not me, but some do. You see, the foolishness of that idea is you look at someone's external circumstances and you think, well, they obviously are happy. They've got everything you could ever want. Deep down inside, they're struggling just like the rest of us. So I think one of the first steps to joy is to take that person who you envy, and let's get real, let's be honest. Think of that person who you envy, if there's someone like that in your life whether it's a celebrity or someone you know personally, that person who you wish you could trade places with them or at least trade one particular circumstance with them, if you would think of that person right now and just say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for breaking the 10th commandment and coveting something my neighbor has, but forgive me also for not seeing them as someone who needs you. And I pray for them. I pray for their salvation. I pray that my heart would break for them like yours does. Help me to see them through your eyes. Overcoming that false, foolish envy of others is one of the steps to joy. And it hits us when we're teenagers, and it hits us when we're in our 90s. So cast it aside. Second thing, this world enslaves, but Jesus liberates. In verse 19, Paul talks about these people who are seeking happiness in this world, and his description of them is, their God is their stomach. In the old King James, it says their God is their belly, which I I sort of like that a little better. It's more picturesque, right? Stomach is this unseen organ in your body, right? But your belly, everybody knows what your belly looks like, right? If you don't, go home, raise your shirt, look in the mirror. Think about that image, your belly is your God. If you're, if you're not following Christ, then you are ruled by your appetites. Then the law that you live by is, if I want it, I should get it. If I need it, I should have it. If it would make my life more happy or bring me pleasure, I should go out and obtain it. Nothing should hold me back. Remember when we were kids... And we used to think, you know, it's going to be so good when I don't have mom and dad telling me what to eat anymore. And then I can, I can, I don't have to eat all these vegetables. I can just skip straight to the cake if I want to. I can have donuts for breakfast every morning. I can have pizza for supper every night. Think about it though. What if, what if when you were 10 or 11 or 12, your parents would have said, okay, you're on your own. Do what you want. Where would you be today? if that were the case with you. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be dead or in a cult or addicted to some substance or in horrible condition of some kind because I had terrible judgment when I was that age. And guess what? I'm not much better now. 
Life without restrictions is not the freedom we think that it is. Life lived according to our appetites is not what we make it out to be in all seriousness. I remember the first time I ever confronted someone who was in an affair. This was a man who was not a member of my church, but his parents were, and uh, actually his in-laws. And um, His wife had come and told me about this. He came and sat in my office And he just confessed everything. He talked about how he didn't mean for this to happen, but he'd gotten into this relationship with this woman at work. And I mean, this is a guy who was married to a wonderful woman. He had three beautiful kids. They looked like the perfect family. And you could see it. You could hear it when he talked. You could tell he hated himself for what he had done. He felt like the worst person alive. He did not want to lose his wife. He did not want to lose his kids. And I said to him, What you got to do is call her up right now. Call her up. Here's my office phone. I'll be your witness that you have called her and you've said, it's over. We're never going to see each other again. No more. And he said, I need to do this on my own. I'm not going to call her now. I'll I'll go home and I'll make the call myself. And he got up and he left. And I knew as soon as he left, he's not going to make the call. And he didn't. And I watched him walk out and I thought, I know this guy hates what he did. I know that he would love to go back in time and undo it. I know that he does not want to lose his family, and yet he can't stop himself. It's like he's addicted. See, we can judge addicts all we want, but all of us deep down inside, we're addicted to our own appetites. We're addicted to our own unrestricted feeding of our belly. And we can't tell our belly no. Our belly's a terrible God. It destroys Everything. And yet we keep on serving it. On the other hand, following Jesus actually brings real freedom. When I was in college, one day I came home from class and one of my roommates had left the window open in our dorm room and a pigeon had flown in the window and couldn't figure out how to get back out. And as soon as I walked into the room, the pigeon went nuts because it was scared of me. And it went flying into walls and into chairs and into desks, knocking books over and basically knocking itself senseless. So I decided, well, I've got to catch this thing because it can't find the window. Well, every time I would lunge at the bird, it would start the whole process over again of whack, 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 you know, this little feathered pinball going through my dorm room. So it was this vicious cycle of I would chase him, he would kill himself, and then we would rest, and then I would chase him, and you know, back and forth we went. Finally, the poor thing was so tired and so worn out, I was able to grab him with both my hands and heave him out the window to freedom. But first, I looked him in his beady little eyes and I said, you stay away from my car. It didn't work. But to me, that's, that's the perfect image of a life lived according to our own appetites. We're flapping our wings. We're working as hard as we can, trying to find happiness, and it's not working. We're lost, and we, don't, we won't admit it, but we are. We keep killing ourselves. And it's only what looks like bondage turns out to be freedom. What looks like freedom turns out to be bondage because it's only when we allow ourselves to be captured by the loving grace of God and held in His hands 
and put back under the control of our Heavenly Father. Only then do we have real freedom. Only then do we experience real joy. And I know we're in church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day when you could be doing anything and you're like, hey, I know I'm holy because I'm here. And yet, and yet, I am, I am almost positive there are going to be people in this room. I don't know who they are. Only the Holy Spirit does. There are people in this room who, if they were honest, would say, well, yeah, I'm trying to find happiness on my own. Yes, I am trying to find joy by fulfilling my own desires. I come to church, yes, I believe all the right things, but deep down inside, I'm serving myself. Today can be the day that somebody in this room allows themselves to be captured by the God who loves them enough to die for them and experiences for the first time and for the rest of their lives true freedom. That can be your experience today. There's one more thing. This world disappoints, but Jesus delivers. This world enslaves, but Jesus liberates. This world destroys, but Jesus transforms. See, Paul in verse 19 goes on to say, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. That first line, though, their destiny is destruction. That is pretty much the most politically incorrect thing you can possibly say today. But I'm going to say it because Paul says it and because it's explicitly stated in the Scriptures that there is a life, there is a life that you can choose to live apart from the love of God, apart from His grace, apart from His guidance, and the end result of that life is eternal separation from God. And that is destruction. And that is what the Bible in other places calls Hell. Hell is a reality. It is not an abstract concept. It is mentioned enough times in Scripture that we can be confident that it is an actual place. And I know that society and even a lot of Christians recoil when we get to that subject because we say, well, how can this be? And I know that a lot of folks say, well, it's just intolerant and barbaric to say that if you're a member of the wrong religion, then you go to hell when you die. But if you're a member of the right religion, then you go to heaven. And now I want you to say that's not actually what the Bible teaches. This is not about what church you go to. It's not about what creed you repeat. The actual story of Scripture is that everybody's lost. You, me, your sainted grandmother, the Pope, everybody is lost in their sin. And that wasn't good enough for God. So He invaded this world on a rescue mission in the form of a man named Jesus Christ who laid down His life to rescue every single one of us. But He's the kind of rescuer who will not rescue those who don't want to be rescued. And there are people, many people, who don't want to be rescued. Who hear the good news and say, that's nice, but I have my life. And God is going to let you have your way. And the end result of having your way, the end result of Sinatra's song, I did it my way, the end result is destruction. The end result is separation from Him. And by the way, just in case there's any notion in any of your minds that says, well, if I'm eternally separated from God and I'm in this awful place, at least I will have lived life on my own terms. No. No, because you see, right now, that sort of works. Because... Common grace, the, the way God has created this world. There are all these gifts in this world. There are, there are pleasures to be had. There are little joys. There are happinesses. There are things that God blesses you with because He loves you even if you don't love Him back. But when you're separated from Him forever, all of that's gone. There is no joy. There is no peace. 
There's nothing but the very, very, very cold comfort of knowing I chose this. This was me. That's the end result. But look at the result of allowing yourself to be captured. He says, he goes on to say, our citizenship is in heaven. We're from another place. From which we await a Savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. Now, we're going to talk about this in much greater detail this fall. We're going to do 11 weeks on heaven. You probably didn't know there was enough Scripture in, in the Bible about heaven to do 11 sermons, but I guarantee you there is because we're going to do it. And so we're going to talk about the next life in great detail, and I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. But for now, I want you to understand what Paul's saying here. He means literally heaven is not an, uh, an ethereal dimension where you drift around like a vapor. You are not an angel for all eternity. You will never be an angel. You are you. It is a physical existence. You get a new body in Christ. Isn't that good news? I heard a comedian a few weeks ago say um, that my body's like an iPhone. Every year there's a lousier version of this same thing. And, and that's one of the things that stinks about this life. And even worse, even worse than just the natural breakdown of ordinary life, once you reach that, that point past which things just keep getting worse and worse, there are things like my friend... Uh, at another church who, when she was a little girl, contracted polio, and she's been in a wheelchair ever since. And that's not fair, and that's not right. But this tells me that someday I'll see her run and jump and dance. And my grandfather and, and other people very precious to me who I've had to watch slowly, slowly, slowly drift away from me because of Alzheimer's, just memory by memory, they, they, they cease to be themselves. Someday I'm going to see them, and they're going to be very much themselves. In fact, they're going to be more themselves than they've ever been. That all of that's true. That I get a new body, and you get a new body, and we live in these, in these bodies that are perfect and, and, and glorious and and we'll never visit a hospital again or a nursing home or a funeral or a cemetery. Those kinds of things we'll look back on and think, yeah, I guess that stuff happened back on earth. I sort of remember that, but it seems so distant now. But that's not even the best part. When Paul says he's going to transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body, that word glorious is not just a, a, a random cool word. He's not using it as a synonym for awesome or wonderful. Glorious has a particular meaning. It refers to the glory of God. You read the Bible from start to finish and you will see God dwells in unapproachable light. He is full of glory. That means nobody can see God and live. You and I, even in our state right now, we still need Jesus to stand between us and God. We still need uh, the, the, the Son of God, the the uh, physical dimension of God to, to be a mediator between us and His holiness. But when we're glorified, when we receive our glorified bodies, we'll be able to stand in the presence of God and see Him. We'll be in His presence constantly. And we'll receive such joy from being in that presence. You know, I, I think about that when I think about the fact that I'm thankful for the work that Christ has done in me. I, I don't know about you, but my testimony is I am way better than I used to be. I am so much wiser. I'm so much more uh, righteous. I make so much better decisions, and, and God has created great things in me, but I've still got so far to go. 
Man, if y'all knew how ridiculously petty my motivations can be sometimes, my thoughts can be so impure, my, my actions, my words, there's still so much of the time that I don't do what I want to do in Christ. But I'm going to have a glorious body someday where my mind will only have good desires and my heart will only have good motivations and my mouth will only speak righteous words and blessed words and words that, that glorify and, and edify others where I'll always do the right thing. I love that verse we started with in this study several weeks ago. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. God is not going to leave any unfinished projects. All of us will be complete. And you might be sitting there saying, well, that's all nice, but I thought we were going to talk about joy right now. You're talking about stuff that's going to happen in the future. Yes, and listen. Every time you look at this world and you see things that aren't the way they ought to be, when you watch the news and you see, you see murder and you see crime and you see poverty and you see social dysfunction and you see oppression and you see war and you see natural disasters and you say, it shouldn't be this way. Or when you, you look at the way people have treated you and, and, and they've gotten away with it and people have actually taken their side or, or the times when life has just turned out to be unfair and you tried and tried to get something really good for yourself and your family, and it didn't work out, and this person over here was selfish, and they got everything they wanted. Or, or when, when you look at your life and you see the, the illnesses that you're struggling with and things that you didn't deserve and they've happened anyway, anytime you have this impression that says, it shouldn't be this way, you know what that is? That's homesickness. That is longing for a place that you're from, but you've never actually been to. Because if you're in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you experience those feelings as despair. Because there's nothing in this world that can make them right. But if you're a believer in Christ, that's just a longing for something you know will be yours someday. Now let me tell you what that's like, okay? I've got this, I've got this little story. Imagine these two people, a young man and a young woman, grow up in this desperately poor neighborhood. They, they have no resources, no opportunities, and one day this wealthy guy decides to give, set them up with a better life, and so he gives them each, this young man and this young woman, he gives them a, a first-class ticket to a tropical paradise where there's going to be opportunities and resources and a chance for a new life. And these two have never even been out of their own neighborhood. And so when, when the taxi comes and picks them up and they drive to the airport, they've never seen an airport. They've seen stuff like that on TV, but they've never before seen such well-dressed people and such great uh, furnishings and, and wonderful food. And, and the young man is just entranced by it all. In fact, one of the first things he does is he sells his ticket to a stranger so he can afford all the stuff in that airport. And he goes to the clothing shop and he buys the most expensive suit in the place so he can walk around that place in style. And he goes to every restaurant. He wants to try every kind of food they have there. Steak and sushi and, and home cooking and, and ice cream and, of course, Cinnabon. You can't pass up Cinnabon. And he gets sick and then he goes back for more. And he goes into the bar and he buys a round for everybody in the bar. And he's everybody's friend and he's walking around in his fancy suit and he's a king. And the young woman experiences it all quite differently. She loves it too. She looks around and this is nice. This is wonderful. She's enjoying meeting new people. She, she buys some food. She buys some things to pass the time. But she knows this isn't my final destination. This isn't where the joy is. I'm waiting for something better. Well, by the time the plane arrives, she's ready. 
she boards her plane and, and heads off to her spectacular future, and she has nothing but good memories of those hours in the airport. Whereas that young man, he hates the airport by that time. He hates that place. It's taken everything that he had, and all he has left is a dirty suit and a stomachache. And do I even have to say it? We're like that young man. If we follow the world's rules, if we follow the crowd, that's the life we will live. A life that is poured out, poured, pour all of our resources, all of our abilities, all of our gifts, all of our dreams into a place that wasn't meant to last in the first place. Whereas if we have our minds and hearts set on a better place, a, a better kingdom, a heavenly city, we will live lives that are meaningful here. We'll experience the blessings of God, yes, and we will get to know the people around us because those people last forever somewhere. We'll live lives that matter because we care about eternity. Because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And we can't live at home in this world anymore because we've tried it, but we still haven't found what we're looking for. There's something better. There's something waiting for us. See, Jesus has given us a better way. That's the story of the cross, and that's the story of the empty tomb. He rose again to show us there's something more than this world. And the way the story ends is wonderful. Revelation 11.15. Do you like having the story spoiled? You're going to get it, okay? The, the way the story ends is this. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's not true now, but it will be true someday. And if that fills your heart with excitement and you say, amen, come Lord Jesus, then this ought to be an encouraging message. But if you read that and you think, well, I'm not ready for that, now's the time to get ready. Now's the time to start living for the world that is to be, the world that will never end, instead of this fleeting airport we're in right now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace.